Okay, if you need a Bible, just slip up your hand and we'll get one to you. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 this morning. That's going to be on page 855, and that will not be on the screen. Nor will any passage be on the screen. Oh, we have a family resemblance. Some of the passages will be on the screen. Awesome. Thank you guys for working hard. They've been working for a long time to see if we could get something on the screen. Anybody else need a Bible? Just slip up your hand. Use your smartphone. Bring your Bible. Borrow one. That's why we have them on the table. Every week, you can pick one up, and uh, you can use it. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take it home. So let's start. Scott Stapp, the former lead singer of Creed and my son's current boss, came out with a solo album in 2013 entitled Proof of Life. Uh, The album had a single on it also with the name Proof of Life. The album chronicles some of the ups and downs of Stapp's life, and including his attempted suicide. Um, It is as if, as you listen to the songs or read the lyrics, as if he's searching proof of his own life. A lot of uncertainty. Proof of Life was also the name of a popular movie that probably many of you saw. It um, came out in 2000 with Russell Crowe and Meg Ryan. The title refers to a phrase commonly used to indicate proof that a kidnapped victim is still alive. In the movie, Meg Ryan's husband is kidnapped by terrorists, and of course, Russell Crowe, the negotiator, pursues a solution. You just may have to watch it again to see how it turned out. Proof proof of life is about making sure that there is a life. What is the proof of life for a follower of Christ? What determines if you have a genuine spiritual life and you are connected to God? It was the old-time preacher, Billy Sunday, former professional baseball player, who said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. So how can we determine proof of life? Let's find out. Our passage today, 1 John chapter 2. I'm reading from a brand new Bible. I have upgraded. When we started the bridge, we uh, did not have this version of the NIV, and it changed in 2011. And I had so many Bibles, I did not want to upgrade. And in fact, I preferred the older NIV, but I have adjusted And I now like this version of the NIV, too. Okay, here we go. I'm reading 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And the Apostle John, this is around 90 AD, 60 years after Jesus died and was buried and resurrected and ascended into heaven. 
And so John, an older fella, writes, My dear children, it's kind of a family name, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So, we want to look at this, and we're going to start with uh, verses 1 and 2, and it's the foundation for forgiveness. Yes, way to go. We have, we have an outline. So as you think about this, as we come to the passage this morning in chapter 2, uh, we find it's closely connected uh, to chapter 1, and I'll just read that for you, and if you're right there, just have a look back at chapter 1, verse 8. And so the Apostle John has just written before this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then the great promise, uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. That is an awesome promise. When we as Christ followers fail God, and when we sin, we can come back to the Father and restore our relationship because He has made a provision for us. If we confess, if we agree with God about what He calls sin, He's made a way for us to be forgiven and to be purified from all unrighteousness, and we can get a fresh start. Verse 10 says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So when we come to chapter 2, it's almost as if John wants to make sure now, now just because we have this provision, if we sin, we can be forgiven, you don't want to take advantage of that. You don't want to, well, whatever I do, I'm going to be forgiven, so it doesn't really make any difference how I live, because if I mess up really bad, I'll just confess it, and I'll be fine. Now, John wants to be clear that that's not the approach, or that's not what his listeners have understood. And we come to chapter 2, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. And we see in verse 1, we have a personal advocate. We have a personal advocate. He said, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. So John wants to make sure that we, we understand how important it is that we not pursue sin, or we not take it lightly, we not take this whole thing for granted. Um, we have an advocate, and he wants to remind that. If we do fail God, we have big-time help. We have an advocate with the Father. Who is our advocate? It is Jesus Christ. Now, God, God, uh, 
The Apostle John used this word for advocate in the Gospel of John, I think four or five times. And he referred to the Holy Spirit as being our counselor. I think King James says comforter. Um, and sometimes advocate. One who comes alongside of us. That's what an advocate is. But it's more than somebody who comes along to pat our back and say everything's going to be okay. It's the one who's gone before us who died and paid a tremendous penalty for our sin. Um, Jesus, who died on the cross and was buried and raised again and ascended into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God, is in the court of heaven representing us. Um, he is there as a reminder that our sin is paid for. And he is there to intercede for us, just like he did with the Apostle Peter. After Peter failed, Jesus prayed for him, that he would be restored, and that he would be useful to God once again. Because the goal when we fail is to get back up and keep going, and to be useful to God. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 32 through 34 the Apostle Paul writes this, speaking of God, he said, He did not spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Next slide. It is God who justifies. God's the one who declares righteous. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He is our advocate. He is standing in heaven representing us. Now, does that just give us freedom to do whatever we want? Also, verse 2, we are reminded that we have a personal Savior. And we see verse 2... He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The key concept is atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, some translations, like older translations, use the word propitiation, one of those big theological concepts. Uh, atoning sacrifice for our sins. What does this mean? Now, just stay with me. I want to do a little review it's kind of really important, and for some of you, this is going to make sense for the first time. What does it mean that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins? As we understand in Scripture, as God has revealed Himself, God is holy. He is totally just. He is righteous. He is without sin. There is no darkness in Him. There is no evil in him. There is no deceit in him. God cannot be in the presence of evil. He cannot be in the presence of sin. It violates his nature. We are sinners by nature. It started in the Garden of Eden. And I've carried it on, by the way. Um, 
And God cannot be in the presence of sin. Sin separates us from God. Because God is holy, I cannot be in His presence in my, in my own strength, in my own performance. God's holy nature must judge sin. God is a God of justice, total justice. And God This is what, so, you know, it's just like, how many times have you heard this? God sent Jesus to pay for our sin. I should make my own payment. God did it for me. Um, He sent his son, Jesus. Justice was required. When, When Jesus came, what's the big deal about For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. When Jesus came to this earth, God the Son, what he gave was infinitely valuable because he is God. How big is the ransom? How big is the sin penalty? Sometimes, how big is your sin penalty? All the sins that you've committed and all the ones you haven't committed yet. And then, you know, we could just add up everybody in the room. And then we could just go out to Eau Claire and out to the Eau Claire County and out to Wisconsin and the U.S. And pretty soon we do the whole world. How big is the sin penalty? But we've also got to go back to all time in history and we've got to go ahead to all time in the future until he returns. That's how big the sin penalty is. It's like one of those, you know, computer readouts that just keeps going and going and going and going. Whatever that penalty is, no matter how many billions of people it covers, it's a finite penalty. And Jesus' life is infinitely valuable, and the penalty has been paid. All of it. It's paid for in full. Nobody deserves it. That's why it's called grace. Um, so John says he's an atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world when when Jesus died on the cross God's holy wrath was satisfied from God's perspective justice was accomplished One of our problems is we come up with our own view of justice. We like justice, but we like to decide what justice is. God is the one who gets to decide ultimately. He's the one who knows ultimately what justice is. And he has been satisfied with the payment of his son's life. Another way to say it is, is when Jesus died... God's wrath against you was satisfied. He atoned for all of your sins and mine, and we don't deserve it. The Apostle Paul said this similarly in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. I once had a seminary professor tell me while I was sitting in class When we got to this passage, he said, this is the heart of the New Testament. 
It's central to all that's written in the New Testament. And so he writes, But now apart from the law, meaning the Old Testament, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And so uh, what Paul is saying, this was foretold in the Old Testament. It has come true in our lifetime. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's a huge, that's good news. That the opportunity to have righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is righteousness that is given. It is a gift. It is not earned. It cannot be earned. You can't perform. Humanly, we like to come up with, well, I need to earn my way. And we come up with ways that if I do these things, God ought to be satisfied. I'm a good enough person because of my own idea of justice and my own idea of righteousness. And Scripture says, no, God is the one who makes people righteous. We don't make people righteous, and it's a gift. Next slide. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, meaning it's for all people. There's no distinction. For all have sinned. By the way, that was revolutionary in the first century. For all people. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. Do you accept that for yourself? Are you in that category of a sinner? A sin means uh, that you fall short of God's standards. God's standard is holiness, it's perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a standard. And sin misses the mark of God's standard. So if you fail in any way, at any time, that's sin. And sin separates us from God. And then he goes on to say, verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace. So by grace we're saved through faith. Justified, meaning declared righteous in God's sight. And so when, um, when a person places their faith in Christ, September 29th, 1974, when I placed my faith in Christ, God took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and put it into my account. So now I've received the gift and I have the righteousness of Christ, not because I'm smarter or better or do more good things. It was totally a gift, and it was because I placed my faith in Christ. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption, the price paid that came by Christ Jesus. Next slide. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. There it is. Propitiation. God's wrath towards sinners is satisfied. Through the shedding of his blood, Jesus' blood, to be received again by faith. It's not by works. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Next slide. Because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished, meaning the sins of people born before the New Testament, before Jesus. Sins of the Old Testament saints of people like Adam and Noah 
and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and Moses and David. Their sins had not been punished. And God was just waiting to apply back to their account because of their faith. And it was Jesus' death that enabled them to receive the righteousness that comes from God. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be the just, to be just, he's totally just, and he is the one who justifies. We can't justify ourselves. No human being can. And the idea is to be righteous, to be declared righteous by God. That's what it means to be justified. So, Romans 3.23 uh, just is, is part of um, how the Apostle Paul lays out this whole story. And he says, for the wages of sin is death. So I need to understand that all have sinned. That includes me. I need to understand that the wages of sin is death. Wages are something that um, we earn. We go to work, we earn a living, we earn wages. If I paid you $300 to do my taxes, that would be what you earned. If you did my taxes, you would deserve $300. The wages of sin is death. That's about separation from God. It's about eternal separation from God. It's about being eternally condemned. Jesus called it hell. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, and this is what we've been talking about, is eternal life in Christ, our Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8, the Apostle Paul continued and he said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was because God loves us. It was because God loves you. And he demonstrated his love by making an amazing sacrifice of his own son, someone he loved dearly. His, and uh, he demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place. He was our sub Jesus subbed in for you and for me. Um, he died for us, and when he did, there was a transaction in heaven, and the sin penalty was paid, and it was paid in full. Peter uh, said something similarly in 1 Peter 3.18. He said, Christ also suffered once for sins. He suffered and died on the cross one time. That's all it took. It was enough the righteous for the unrighteous. He is the righteous and we are the unrighteous. And he took our place. He was our substitute. In theology, we call it the substitutionary atonement. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. He was put to death, but that wasn't the end. There was a resurrection. 
and it demonstrated God's victory over sin, God's victory over death, and God's victory over Satan. And now we come to John 3.16, the best-known verse in the Bible. And with all of that background, look how simple it is. For God so loved the world. Every person in the world. For God so loved you and me that he gave his one and only son. That whoever, this, is, this offer is still good today, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes and so it's, it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of taking God at his word. Um, and then there's a promise. You will not perish. You will not face eternal death. You will not face condemnation from God. You will not face hell. It's a promise for eternal life. It's a promise of heaven. It's a promise of forgiveness of sins. And that offer is still good today. That's why we call it good news. You know what? You can place your faith in Christ even right now, this morning. You don't have to wait. You don't have to do anything special. It's about recognizing that you're a sinner. Can, can you admit that you're a sinner and that you have sinned? It's about recognizing that what God has done for you, that he sent his son Jesus, that he died for you, that he paid the penalty for your sin. It's about trusting Jesus, who is alive in heaven right now. It's taking God at his word, believing in him and what he's done for you. You can, you can talk to God right now silently and pray and ask God. You can tell God what you think and you can ask him to save you from the penalty of his sin, and I can tell you that he absolutely will if you believe. Okay, that's verses 1 and 2. Now we're going to go to 3 through 6, the test for genuine faith. This is back to the proof of life. In verse 3, we see that knowing God personally is demonstrated by obedience to God's word. In chapter 1, the key concept, you remember, was fellowship. The key concept here is knowing God. It's about um, having a personal relationship with Christ. When you have a personal relationship with another person, you know them. You may know them well, and that usually depends on how much time you spend with them. You may or may not like them. I don't know. You may love them deeply, but it's a personal relationship. In verse 3, the Apostle John writes, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So in thinking about, and this is proof of life, by the way, in thinking about commands, we're not talking about just when Jesus said to do something. When we think of commands of Scripture, we're talking about all of Scripture. Jesus is God. And God's Word is the Word of Jesus. 
And so when we read God's word, we learn about who God is. We, we learn about what he's like. We learn about how he has behaved in the past. We learn about what his promises are. And those have nothing to do with commands. But if we're going to know someone intimately, we have to know what he's like, how he's behaved, what he's asked for, what he has promised. We learn a lot. Knowing God personally is demonstrated by obedience to God's word. Those who know Christ personally follow Christ. That's John's point. It's pretty simple. But it's not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. This is where Christians get sidetracked. They end up thinking, or non-Christians, they end up thinking that Christianity is just rule-keeping, a list of things that you can't do, you can't enjoy life, and then things that you must do, and that's not fun. That is not what following Jesus is all about. It's about having a personal relationship, about knowing Christ. Now, on September 29, 1974, I encountered Jesus Christ, placed my faith in Him, and He turned my trajectory in life around. Now, one of the big differences was, this wasn't about rules. This was about, I want to follow Him. I have a lot to learn but it, he put it in my heart that I wanted to do this. And not only that, he gave me resources. He gave me the Holy Spirit to live in me, and that changed everything. He forgave me, and that was awesome. He gave me resources every day. He enabled me to pray, and I wanted to pray. And, he, and it began to enable me to understand his word, and I wanted to understand his word. Now, I don't live the, life, the Christian life perfectly. But in general, I always want to be following him. I fall down, I have to get right back up. Um, it's about a personal relationship. Uh, we see in verse 4, disregarding God's word is a sign of unbelief and false reality. Sometimes Christ followers ignore what God says. Sometimes Christ followers think, think now this is, I see that this is really common today. Sometimes Christ followers think God is wrong. I have a better idea about what's right for my life. See, good people with some good background, they profess faith in Christ. They've demonstrated it in the past, and then they reach something that doesn't fit with what they want. And they change their course, and they change their thinking, because they prefer doing it their own way instead of following Christ. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Question is, does that person really know him? Maybe they don't. Maybe they're just trying to be religious. Are they disobedient children of God? And we have those. Or are they wish, wishful thinking and deceived? Jesus said to his disciples, teach them to obey everything I've commanded them. And that is, it's more than the commands. It's about God's word. 
In John chapter 2, verse 4, the verse we just looked at, it's parallel to 1 John 5 and 6. And 1 John 5 and 6, uh, John writes, This is the message we've heard from, the, from him and declare to you. God is light. This is what we talked about last, last week. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship, if we claim to be in a relationship with him, if we claim to share this life with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. It's, actual, it's possible for a child of God to be walking in the darkness, to be disobedient. And that's why John said it's such a big deal. If we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. If we do sin, we can confess our sins. But we need to pursue walking in the light and following Jesus. Um, in verse 5, obeying God's word demonstrates our love for him. Obeying God's word demonstrates our love for him. Um, John writes, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly complete in him. If we obey, the love of God is made complete in us. Obeying God's word is about following Christ. It's about our daily walk with Christ. As we seek to follow Christ, as we seek to obey, our relationship grows. We grow in our knowledge of Jesus. We grow in our experience as a Christ follower. We grow in maturity. We grow in understanding. And we grow in our love for God. You know what the greatest command in all the Bible is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind or might. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands. This is how you're going to demonstrate love for Jesus. This is really proof of life. If you love me, follow through. Uh, John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Here's a promise. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, it's demonstrating your love for him. If you keep his commands and demonstrate your love for him, he is going to display himself, manifest himself to you in some way. Now, I don't think that means that he's going to just appear in my room in some mysterious figure. He's going to show up in my daily life in ways where I know God is at work. It's an experience. It's not just a theological idea that Jesus said, I too will love them and show myself to them. First, uh, the next one is John 14, 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Is God at home with you? Are you at home with God? That says a lot about your relationship, how comfortable you are in your relationship with God. Is it something you enjoy, that you love pursuing, that you're grateful for, that you give Him praise for? Is it something that you just jump into once in a while or whenever you need Him? You know, the old having a spare tire. When your tire goes flat, you need help. And um, sometimes people just want God around so they can... He can fix their flat. Verse uh, 5 and 6. Following Christ in obedience is proof of life. There's the answer to our question. What is the proof of your life? Do you have the life of Jesus in you? Did you receive life when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? And the answer is obedience to Christ is proof of life. Verse 5, John says, This is how we know that we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. This is how you can tell where you are. Is there proof Uh, To live as Jesus did is not about wearing sandals and a bathrobe. It's about embracing his character. It's about seeking to please him. It's about taking his commands seriously and intentionally seeking to follow him. In John 8, 31 and 32, um, Jesus said these words, If you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples. You're the real deal. You are genuine if you hold to my teaching. Then you will know the truth. If you hold to Jesus' teaching, you will know the truth. And if you hold to Jesus' teaching, you will know more truth. And you will know more truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth will enable you to overcome a lot of things. The truth will enable you to overcome sin. The truth enables you to overcome the sin penalty. The truth enables you to overcome some discouragement. Truth enables you to overcome addiction. I'm not trying to just simplify everything, but it is about truth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 1 Peter, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you. He suffered and died for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, Jesus is more than an example, but he is an example. And he's called us to follow in his steps. In John chapter 8, verse 12, when, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Same John who wrote, 1 John, and talked about God is light in chapter 1. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of simple. If we follow Christ, we, we are not walking in darkness. 
If we continually follow Christ, we will continually stay out of the darkness. If we walk with Christ, we will have the light of life and we'll have more light to see what next steps should be. And walking with Christ brings more light and more information and more knowledge about what's ahead. When we when we take time away, when we walk away from the light, when we fall into darkness, when we step aside from following Christ, we miss out on so much that God has in store for us. So much that the light brings so much that the light exposes, and so much that God enables us. So, last thing. What's your proof of life? What's your proof of life? Let's stand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for uh, the words of the Apostle John this morning. Thank you, God, for clarity about how important it is that we walk with you. We all need to be reminded from time to time that we can become sloppy in our walk with you. It's easy to think about the Christian life as being do's and don'ts, and we like to throw around the concept that there's a personal relationship, but the personal relationship is about living closely together, and when one person is Lord and one person is servant, it's about the servant following the Lord. Father, may you uh, work in each of our lives. May you show us um, where we fall short. May you show us sin that needs to be confessed, if there is. May Jesus, as our advocate, encourage us. May we be thankful for his atoning sacrifice on our behalf. And if you're here today and you're not sure that you've ever really started a personal relationship with Christ, may you consider the claims of Scripture. It's simply about admitting your own failure before God, sin. It's about understanding that there are consequences for our sin and that's eternal spiritual death. It's about embracing that Jesus died for you in your place. He paid for all of your sin. And when you embrace Jesus, you can be forgiven and begin to follow and ask him to help you be the person that he wants you to be.
And Lord, um, may our proof of life be demonstrated to you. May our love be demonstrated back to you by the way we live, one day at a time. Not just on Sunday, but on Mondays. In Jesus' name, amen.